Before we get to today's Five Reasons podcast, I want to tell you about our sponsor, X-Miami. The new X-Miami apartment community is the most fun and convenient place to live for modern Miami locals. It's right across from Bayfront Park and American Airlines Arena. Rent starting in just the 1200s, including a huge gym and two-level co-working space. The lobby is a coffee shop and cocktail lounge, and the pool deck is insane. There's also an app to manage mobile keys, packages, social events, and your thermostat. Your new home is available fully furnished, or you can rent by bedroom. Mention 5 Reasons Sports for a discount at move-in. Learn more at xmiami.co. That's xmiami.co. And now, on with the show. Welcome into another edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. Plenty of housekeeping to get to. We'll tell you about our sponsor, Analytic, in just a matter of moments. Also, thanks to X Miami for sponsoring the pod. In terms of our other podcast, you're going to want to check out Three Yards Per Carry, recapping the Dolphins draft after leading off with Minka Fitzpatrick and then having, obviously, the picks from rounds two through seven. Lots to break down. Three Yards Per Carry will be a must-listen on Monday afternoon and throughout the week if you want to know the latest on the Dolphins draft picks. Also, check out Balls Cast and Miami Heat Beat still going through the NBA playoffs. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play. You can follow us on Twitter at Five Reasons Sports. And Ethan, we're going to talk some NBA playoffs today. We're kind of in a weird stage because obviously some series ended quickly, and so you had Game 1s before you had Game 7s. But right about now, we are smack dab. We had the first round complete. We are now into Round 2, even though we've had two games worth of Round 2. So we're going to kind of tackle our five biggest questions that we're discussing in either the aftermath of Round 1 or looking ahead to Round 2. And we have to start with the Cleveland Cavaliers, LeBron James telling his coach, telling everyone involved, I'm not coming out of the game. I'm not leaving the game. I'm going to play every single minute. And then he was forced to leave because he had a cramp. But in the middle of playing 44, 45 minutes, scored 46 points, leads the Cleveland Cavaliers. They're not at the brink just yet. We cannot talk about LeBron going somewhere else just yet. What did you learn from what Cleveland did in that series? The fact that Indiana kept it close and the fact that LeBron ended up pulling out, but also having to summon this kind of effort. This is a game seven in the finals kind of performance, not game seven around one. Yeah, he shouldn't be having to do this at this point, Chris. And, you know, we're not going to talk a lot about where he's going after this season, but it's pretty clear he's going somewhere else because the, the way that this series played out and how challenging it was for him and for them. We know the way that LeBron breezes through first rounds. He's done it since he's come back to Cleveland. He lost a total, a total, Chris, of two first round games in his four years with the Miami Heat. And he lost three in this series. I shouldn't say he, they lost three in this series. Really could have lost two more of those games, right? I mean, one of them, Indiana seemed to have control at the end and Cleveland won. And then this game, Indiana certainly had a shot there until I thought they started taking some bad shots. And I also thought it was a mistake for Indiana not to have Oladipo in during the minutes that LeBron was out, which sort of allowed LeBron to get, as you mentioned, when he was dealing with the cramps, a little bit of that breather. But let's look big picture. I mean, he just does not have anybody else on that team he can rely on. And let's start with Kevin Love, because I know Love hit some shots in the second half of that game. But if you look at his overall numbers in this series, he's just not a second scorer that you can rely on. And if you look at Kevin Love's playoff statistics throughout his career, he is a career 38.5% shooter in the playoffs. So he is not a star in the playoffs. And so LeBron doesn't have that second guy. And here's the other thing that came up during this series. When they really needed to win a game in Game 7, almost none of the new players played, right? Ty Lue decided to start the five guys who were there last year, four of which all but Corver were there for the championship team of 2016. LeBron even that, said it after the game. He said the lineup that we started was the guys who've been here before. That's what we right. were going with. That's all they trusted in this particular game. And two of those guys in Tristan Thompson and J.R. Smith are guys who they could not trust the entire season. And yet Ty Lue felt like he had to put those guys in the starting lineup and give Tristan Thompson some credit for showing up today. I mean, again, compare it to the Heat's uh, you know, highly paid center. At least Tristan Thompson came back from not playing a lot in a series and contributed in an elimination game. So give Tristan some credit for that. But look, if you look at Cleveland from a short and long-term perspective here, the fact that they got nothing out of Clarkson, really nothing out of Nance, nothing out of Hood, they did get something out of George Hill coming back 
I thought he played well in the second half. He gave them a little something. They're going to have to rely on him more in the series against Toronto. We talked about the trades when they were made. I thought they would help. I thought for a period of time they did help. But at this stage, it's clear that they just can't trust any of those guys either. And it makes you think a little bit, Chris, because look at the way that some of the guys they traded. I know they were not good fits, right? But look at the way the guys they traded played in the playoffs. Dwayne Wade played well. Jay Crowder has played pretty well. Derrick Rose even played pretty well for Minnesota. Obviously, Isaiah Thomas didn't make the playoffs with the Lakers, but three of those guys played pretty well, played better than the guys that Cleveland has picked up to play with LeBron. So I think long-term, it's very unsettling for the Cavaliers that they didn't get contributions out of those guys. Short-term, as you look ahead to the next series, there is no excuse for Toronto to lose this next series now. If this is supposedly, and I saw somebody tweet this and they're right, if this is supposedly the best iteration of this Raptors team, going against this Cleveland team, which doesn't have Kyrie Irving and clearly is suffering for it, and Toronto has home court advantage in this series, if the Raptors can't win now, if they can't beat LeBron now, when can they beat LeBron? Particularly after LeBron has had to log these kind of minutes in the first round. All credit to LeBron for his greatness, and and clearly we can talk about that for 50 minutes here, but I think it speaks to what he doesn't have around him and the inexperience of an Indiana group that I thought, you know, talent wise, uh, you know, really shouldn't have been in the position that they were in at all, but put up a really good fight. Yeah, but performance wise, I thought they were brilliant over the course of the entire series. You look at not just looking like they were going to fluke their way or they were competing with Cleveland. They looked at times the better team. And I actually thought over the course of the series, the better team lost the series. But for me, if we're asking the question, what did the series tell us? Well, what it tells us is, the truisms of LeBron are not true at the moment. So we had the first round series. We talked about it ahead of the playoffs. LeBron has been 48-7 and seven in first round series over the course of his career. He's been utterly dominant. Well, if they went seven and they needed him to play 44 minutes and they needed him to do all the things that he needed to do in order to get them over the line, that means now that LeBron dominating Toronto over the course of his career is no longer a relevant fact. It's no longer, well, okay, once they step on the floor with... Toronto, they know that once they turn it on, they're going to win the series. And that's, to me, the important bit from a mindset point of view that Toronto has to recognize now. They have to recognize, oh, no, 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 we're not playing the same Cleveland team that has made easy work of beating us. It's not the same Cleveland team that, let's be honest, we're a little afraid to play in the playoffs. I don't think that's this team anymore. And so if going forward, Toronto recognizes that, then they're not going to be as afraid going into the series because I think in certain respects, Toronto going into a series against Cleveland has been beating before the series has even started. I don't think that is the case this time. No, it definitely shouldn't be. Digging even deeper into these numbers, if Toronto looks at this box score today, they've got to feel pretty good about this. I mean, look at the Cleveland bench. They got two field goals off their bench. Jeff Green, was, Jeff Green was one of five. George Hill was one of three. Clarkson was 0 of four. Nance was 0 of two. Hood did not attempt a shot. That's your bench. I mean, Calderon didn't play. And then even go deeper into the starting lineup. Corver was one of seven. JR was three of 10. And Kevin Love was five of 12. Look at the rest of the roster. They made a total of 11 field goals in 41 attempts. And here's the thing. That's not a fluke. This is the kind of performance that they've gotten in way too many games this year from whoever the supporting cast was. And look, in large part, they're advancing because they attempted 40 free throws today. And and I thought, and I, again, I know you hate talking about the officiating, and we don't want to get into conspiracy theories that the Raptors-Pacers series would have been on NBA TV 8, okay? They would have they would have buried it on the not even on the first seven NBA TVs. They would have found someplace else. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't have been able to find it on Hulu, okay? So clearly the NBA did not want that series next. But even if you don't assign a conspiracy theory to it, the reality is the Cavs got the benefit of the whistle today in a few occasions and needed all of that to beat an Indiana team at home. And we can talk about how well the Pacers play, and they deserve enormous credit. But I just want to give this to you again. I tweeted this out here, Chris. I mean, this was the team that was pushing the Cavs. A star player who was traded twice in one year, a point guard who was a backup for the Kings two years ago. For the Kings two years ago. Yeah. I know that I know that Darren Collison led the league in three-point percentage this year, but he has never been considered a full-time starter, okay? He started a lot of games, but he's never been considered the guy that you were sort of banking your franchise on. The third guy was arguably the least talented of the two Bogdanoviches, because I, because actually, if you look at the guy <laughs> with Sacramento that played this year, and the rookie season that he had, he's a more multi-skilled player, okay? This one may be the better shooter. By the way, if you ask me which Bogdanovich is the one for the Pacers and which is the one for the Kings, I <laughs> I 
wouldn't know. I think Indiana has Boyan, but I'm not sure. But again, you can argue that he's the less talented of the two Bogdanoviches. They had a power forward, and Thad Young was on his fourth team in five years. And then they had Lance. Okay, who who since who since he was last with Indiana has played for five teams. I mean, that's not that long ago, Chris, that he was in those series against the Heat, right? Like, can I try and name them? So he's in Memphis, Mm -hmm. Sacramento, Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Did he have a stop with a New York team? Was he in Brooklyn? I think he was with Minnesota, but I'll, I will. I will. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. So, hold on. <laughs> to the basketball I, reference page. I, I I don't want you to pause the pod on this. I want to. <laughs> I, I want us to actually look this up because this is who was frustrating. Yeah. The Cavs in the series, and particularly uh, LeBron, because LeBron yes. wanted to punch him in the larynx. There's no uh, question it, about it. It was Minnesota since Indiana. He signed okay. the contract. He, well, there there was a funny tweet that went out there, Chris, about how Lance Stevenson never got the better of Jordan, right? And then people were like, no, actually he did. He did in contract negotiations in 2014. <laughs> uh, so he got, he got the long-term deal with Charlotte uh, in 2014. They cut him loose. He was with the Clippers, oh, Memphis. I, do, I don't remember the Clippers. New Orleans, they don't remember it, okay? He played 43 <laughs> games there, okay? Memphis... New Orleans, he was there for six games. Minnesota for six games before Indiana Larry Bird brought him back. And All right, so throw Miles Turner in there, right? Who may have regressed a little bit this year, but he's a good young player. But that was their core six. And that's the team that pushed a LeBron team with LeBron playing at a high level to seven games in the first round when LeBron never loses first round games. That doesn't bode well long term. And it doesn't bode well in the next round. And if Toronto chokes this thing away at this point, they can never be trusted again. This really should not be close. Like, this should be, even as great as LeBron is, this should be a five-game series. This should be like... Wow, really? Yes. I I, I still think if 23 is on the floor, it's a six- or seven-game series. I never want to count him out, okay? But I look back to 2014 against the Spurs. LeBron was on the floor. I know you had the cramp game, but LeBron played well in that series. He still had, and I know they were not what they were before, but he still had Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh with him. And I know that Spolster was force-feeding Beasley minutes by the end of that series, okay? So it was not ideal in terms of the state of the Heat roster. But it was still LeBron with two other Hall of Famers, and yet that series went only five games. So I could see it happening again. If Toronto is what they think they are, what we're trying to make them out to be as the number one team in the East, this should be a five-game series. Will it be? That's a whole other story. We'll continue on with the NBA playoffs discussion, but first, a word from our sponsor. Are you a business owner? You need help with bookkeeping, payroll, virtual CFO, or analytic services so you can focus on growing that business? You need to hire Analytic. They'll take care of your day-to-day concerns while giving you insights about your company so you can make better long-term decisions. You can find them at analytic.io. That's A-N-A-L-Y-T-I-Q dot I-O. Or call 1-800-823-6320. That's 1-800-823-6320. Say that Five Reasons sent you, and if you sign up or refer someone who does, you'll receive a $200 Amazon gift card. Ethan, we got a podcast sponsor called Analytic. You don't think it's a bit too on the nose for me? (laughs) (laughs) Moving on now, Ethan, to the next point we wanted to get to, and that is this. There were eight teams, obviously, that went out in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. And I want to ask you the question, which of those teams, for you, showed the most promise? Well, I think you got to start with Indiana, right? Of all of those teams, what the Pacers were able to do, again, we're sort of downgrading Cleveland a little bit here, but the Pacers played a very complete series. They just couldn't finish two of the games that they needed to finish. But if you look at what they established here in the postseason, they have a legit star. And that was a huge question. Who was going to be the guy who was going to replace Paul George and Oladipo outplayed Paul George by a significant margin in the playoffs this year. If you look at what Paul George did, especially in that last game with Oklahoma City, and what Oladipo was able to do on his own. So it's like they switched roles, and Oladipo thrived in his new role. And the other thing about Oladipo is he's a local guy, played in Indiana. He's likable. He gives the Pacers somebody they can build around. He wants to be there, unlike Paul George the last couple of years. So I think that's a huge thing for the franchise, and they also have some flexibility. Now, they have not been traditionally a franchise that free agents have flocked to, but again, I think having a likable superstar there at the front of it, the feeling that it's a young, growing team, I think that will certainly help them. I think you can make a case for Minnesota, 
Chris, also that that's a team that at least you know you, some of the young guys there got some experience. But I, I think terribly they have impressed, some, to be honest. Yeah, they have some things to work out. The Butler Wiggins collaboration doesn't look like a great fit, and that contract for Wiggins makes it problematic. What you're going to decide? And also, to do with why can't why can't they defend? That's to me. That's the, yeah. the the biggest concern. They all have all three of those guys are plus level athletes. It's not like you have Nikola Jokic, who's just sort of a lumbering big guy out there. But those guys should be athletic. Difficult to get behind wings slash bigs that are perfect for the modern era, coached by Tom Thibodeau, and they can't defend. I don't understand how that happens. Well, Towns has never been a great defender, right? Like, that was the knock against him coming in, that he was he was multi-skilled offensively, but not a great defender. Wiggins was supposed to be, but I, sometimes his instincts are not where they should be. Obviously, Jimmy Butler is a plus defender, but you're right. They should be better collectively with Tibbs coaching them, and they haven't been. I think really the only team that really showed itself extraordinarily well in the playoffs as far as really sort of building towards a future was Indiana. That would be the one that I would look at. For me, actually, the team that showed the most promise was the Milwaukee Bucks. I think when you look at Milwaukee, the reason why I say this, obviously Boston is not quite a two-seed, right? It's not quite as impressive a series, but the fact they won three home games and the fact that they're an organizational cluster bleep. They do not have their house in order. They have some fit issues on their roster. They do not have a good coach. Their front office has been all over the place with how they've built this roster. They've got decisions to make. But in the midst of all that, they have Giannis Antetokounmpo. And when you look at the way that that series plays out, and for me, the way that they got their offense, I, it was a lot better than I would have expected in going back and watching those games kind of on, on further inspection. And the fact that they went seven in a series, and it's not just the fact that they won some games, but that they look this competitive, that they have this much promise on the roster without really having that top-of-the-line coach, without having that top-of-the-line front office. I don't know if they move into the new arena next year or the year after, but they're going to be in a place where I think they can invest a little bit more in building out the infrastructure around Giannis because they're going to have to start doing that. But the fact that even without that infrastructure, without a well-run organization to back Giannis Antetokounmpo, they went to Game 7 with a Boston team that, yes, they don't have Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward. It's still a pretty good team. And one that I, I want to get to this later, I think they actually have a decent chance to compete well with the Sixers, even despite missing those two guys. So I think they performed really impressively for me, the fact that they kept punching back when Boston was trying to knock them out of the series. It was won games by big margins at home as well. I didn't think that they were going to be that good in a series. I thought they were a walkover in the playoffs. They pleasantly surprised me. All right, let's move on to the next thing you want to get to, and that is you had some disappointments in round number one. You had a few teams that certainly had higher expectations going in. You had the Portland Trailblazers, who were the higher seed, getting swept out of the playoffs by the New Orleans Pelicans. You had the Miami Heat going out in five. But I think the big one for me is the Oklahoma City Thunder losing to the Utah Jazz despite having the higher seed, despite having the three superstars if not superstar quality players, at least big names in that series. Which of the teams that I just mentioned needs to rethink their blueprint and potentially even blow it up? Well, I think a lot of them do. That's why we're going to go a little longer on this section than the last one because I think we saw a lot of these teams that lost in the first round are in some kind of trouble. The one I think we can put to the side here a little bit is San Antonio, only because I, I don't really know what Kawhi's future is for them. I, and, it's and, just, and, yet, and yet they look the most likely to detonate because if they trade Kawhi, that's a total detonation. But again, I, the fact that they won as many games, I mean, they shouldn't even have won as many games as they did this season. That roster's not a playoff roster. No, it's not. I mean, he won 47 games, Popovich did, with that group. The Nuggets have a much better roster than the Spurs do at this stage, and the Nuggets finished a game behind San Antonio. And, and I mean, San Antonio got you know little to no production from Kawhi this year. Uh, you know, Dejounte Murray took a bigger role, but you know they're relying on Pau Gasol to still play relatively heavy minutes. They got good minutes at Amanu this year that you couldn't have expected before the season. Parker came back earlier than expected, and yet that roster still was not very good. So I, I'm putting them to the side just because the Kawhi situation is is such a wild card there. But you look at the others. Look, you can make an argument really for all of them and the others in the West other than the Wolves. Um, I, I think you know the Wolves I don't think need to blow it up. I think they, they need to tweak it and try to figure out what their identity is. But clearly it's built around Towns and Butler and figure out what the other pieces are. That's a good place to start. But as far as Portland and OKC go, for different reasons, OKC would be number one for me though. Like it's going to be blown up on them, Chris. I mean, Paul George is going to leave. And yep. you basically gave away Oladipo and Sabonis for nothing. And now now you've got to figure out what you're going to put about Westbrook because he won one more game this year after adding arguably two future Hall of Famers. Now, with that being said, 
I sort of went on a tweet storm yesterday, Chris, about Carmelo. And the Thunder are in a weird position now with Carmelo. A, he says he won't come off the bench, which I don't know why he doesn't talk to his buddy Dwayne Wade about that, because clearly Dwayne made that concession to extend his career. Carmelo has not been half the player that Dwayne has been such a over the course of his careers. Thing. It's such a weird status thing. There's two things that are odd in the NBA in that realm. Anthony Davis not wanting to be a center because he wants to be a power forward. Kind of like Duncan, though, right, too, yeah, yeah. Right, Duncan with Rosho Nesterovich, or as Stephen A. Smith would say, Rosho Nesterovich. <laughs> But that and not wanting to come off the bench because there's a status thing that a player that's as good as Carmelo Anthony, it's not really necessarily about does every team start their five best players? It's about finding the best combinations, the best ways to deploy a lineup. And like, what would realistically be heard about Carmelo if he came off the bench? Like, would anyone think less of Carmelo? Like, th- less than we no, already think, do, right? No, they, they would think more of Carmelo. That's the reality here, okay? That, and that's why I don't understand why he doesn't get it because. Carmelo is a guy who has earned the most plaudits, earned the most praise for the way that he's played in the Olympics, right? Playing around other great players. That Carmelo has stepped forward there, but he's also showed more of an unselfish streak than he shows in the NBA. I mean, he's given up some shots. He's played better defense. He's rebounded from the four spot. He's done all of those different things, whereas he has refused to do a lot of those things in the NBA. I just want to give you, because again, this, this plays into the situation Oklahoma City is, is in right now, because they've got to figure out what they're going to do if Carmelo decides to opt in to the $27 million contract. I crunched some of these numbers yesterday, Chris. You didn't watch a lot of Alex English, obviously, right? Because, I mean, Alex I English's career predates you. Yes. Okay. W- would you say that Alex English is considered one of the when small forwards come up in the NBA, do people typically say he's a top 10 small forward all time? I mean, is that a name? I I know next to nothing about Alex English. Okay, I'm going to give you some numbers here, Chris. This is the per 36 minutes for their careers. Carmelo, 24.2 points. Alex English, 24.2 points. Rebounds, 6.6 for Carmelo, 6.2 for Alex English. Turnovers, 2.7 for Carmelo. Turnovers, 2.7 for Alex English. True shooting percentage, Carmelo 54.2, Alex English 55.0. They are the same player. (laughs) Same player. And so I think when you look at Carmelo's career, basically he's Alex English who played in New York and got drafted second overall in the LeBron draft. And so Carmelo— He's he's Alex English who won the national championship and became sort of a famous player because of it. I I think he's more famous than he is good, right? I think that's true. And I think the other thing is he's been grouped in with the banana boat group. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like this is when what he's been put. I mean, some of these numbers are really fascinating. When you start to add Paul Pierce into the equation here, you realize Paul Pierce is one of the most overrated players of all time. Like Carmelo's numbers are better than Paul Pierce's. But the other thing that's happened with Carmelo is he's been put in to this banana boat crew. Here's the value over replacement player for their career, the VORP. Okay. This is a stat that's used on pro basketball reference, takes into account a whole bunch of different things. LeBron, 123.9. Chris Paul, 75.9. Wade, 57.7. Carmelo, 28.3. Jeez. Jason Terry has a higher VORP over the course of his career than Carmelo Anthony. So well, that's that's got in fairness to Carmelo, Jason Terry's oh, been in the league for forty five years. It so also accumulation died, over his career. And also it died. also died on the floor <laughs> five years ago when LeBron dunked on him in Boston. Okay? Yes, has, he has risen. Has, and has been a 12-minute-a-game player uh, over the past five years, except for, and again, this is going to counter your love for the Bucks. except for when Milwaukee is playing 40-year-old Jason Terry down the stretch of an elimination game, which I, that also makes me question where the Bucks stand right now. But anyway, larger point here is Carmelo, to sum all this up, I know it's a bit of a diversion here, Carmelo's not as good as he thinks he is. you know, And he's grouped in because he's thought of with the Banana Boat crew. And my point is, Look, if Chris Paul can go to Houston and give up the ball a lot more to James Harden, if Wade and LeBron, who are better than Carmelo, Wade by a good amount and LeBron by a huge amount, okay, if the two of those guys could figure out how to make it work in Miami with each of them sacrificing parts of their game, why can't Carmelo sacrifice to come off the bench? And that speaks to the problem in OKC right now because if Carmelo opts into that contract and Paul George leaves, then you've got Westbrook and Carmelo taking 90% of the shots on that team. Like, that's a 35-win team, Yeah, Chris. And, I, you know, I say they need to blow it up, but I don't know how they blow it up. Yeah, so I think maybe you try and flip him as an expiring, but George, to me, is definitely leaving. He's already... 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. A Laker. I think LeBron's already a Laker, too. I think, I think they're going to end up playing together. But I think that Paul George is definitely going to be a Laker next year. There's no question about that in my mind. And then from there, it's already a team star for role players. I guess the only good thing for them is they can get some cat space. But even then, I mean, Steven Adams on a big deal. It's not a very maneuverable team. For me, the candidate, if I'm looking at the Western Conference, is Portland because you look at Lillard and McCollum, and at a certain point, it's the same thing with Toronto, right? So Toronto, if Toronto goes out in round two to Cleveland again, I'm going to say they have to make the changes. At a certain point, you just have to acknowledge, I'm going to stop beating my head against the wall, try and limit the redundancy of my team, and try and fill out this team more. And I think you can go two for one, three for one with CJ McCollum in a way that makes sense. But to me, the team in the Eastern Conference is one that obviously we focus on a ton, and that's the Miami Heat. And I think that, you know, we've talked about different ways that this can be done, I think at a certain point, the Heat have to look at themselves and start to look towards their future and think, what can we do to change the fortunes of the franchise? What can we do? And I think this is the offseason that I think Pat Riley gets a little fed up. And I think he's going to want to make changes. Now, for me, writing out the Hassan Whiteside contract and the Tyler Johnson contract is the way to go. Uh, just because if you're not going to win, then I don't want to pay a penalty to get rid of these contracts. But maybe turning the players of value, the Drogiches, Kelly Olynyk, just into pieces, into assets that would make more sense a bit further on down the line. Like, for example, I texted you the idea of maybe a Boogie Cousins sign-and-trade so you can get him in. He might even play next year uh, because he's off an Achilles injury, so maybe you can kind of just take a redshirt year on that first year of the deal. But I just think you have to figure out different ways to try and change this math because – 
as presently constituted, it is not going to work. I don't know what the route to blowing it up is or how significant the move would have to be to consider it blowing it up, but I think that he'd have to think about wholesale changes. Yeah, we're going to devote an entire pod to that because I, I think we want to look at all of the different options and, and whether or not it's, like you said, if it's conceivable and if it's advisable. Those are those are two different things. And But here's a stat, Chris, that speaks to the trouble that they're in right now. Usage percentage in the playoffs. I want you to tell me which of these 10 names based on age and where they're supposed to be at this stage of their careers does not belong. Okay. Okay. Yep. One is Westbrook, not surprisingly. Nope. Two is Harden. Makes sense. Three is LeBron. Yep. Four is Durant. Remember, no Curry, so yep, a, sure. a larger burden on him. Five is DeRozan. Makes sense. Six is John Wall. Yep. Seven is Donovan Mitchell. Of course. I mean, he's the, running the whole damn offense. No other score on that team. Mm-hmm. Eighth is Anthony Davis. Yep. Tenth is Victor Oladipo. <laughs> okay, so that <laughs> who, who's left at nine then? 36-year-old reserve <laughs> Dwayne Wade. Twice released, last traded this year. Ninth in usage rating. Ninth, thirty point four. Okay, that's, that's like insane. That's like a Dwayne Wade usage rating from two thousand nine. It may not have seemed why? that way. Why? I don't understand. Like why? Because this team was broken before he came, Chris. It's what we've talked but, about on the pot. But Ethan, I mean, we saw when Dwayne wasn't here, evenly distributed. The record was about the same. You don't mean to tell me? So if Dwayne Wade wasn't there, do you think that he would have been swept by Philly? Well, I mean, they had a Dwayne Wade game, right? Right, um, but what I'm saying— Excuse is, and, me and, for the long side that's going to show up here on the podcast. Look, uh, would they have been swept? I'm not sure. Would Josh Richardson have been more aggressive without Dwayne? Would Hassan have felt like it was more his team? There's a lot of variables that are hard to measure, right? Obviously, if Dion Waiters doesn't get hurt at the beginning of the season, it's very possible that Dion could have put up that usage rating too, right? He's <laughs> capable. I mean, I don't know what he's capable of for percentage. We'll see um, in terms of his shooting percentages next year and coming off that injury. But uh, I know he's capable of the usage rate, so it's possible for him to do that. But look, they just went right back to it. Like it's what we talked about in a previous pod. And I, it's one of those things when you look at a number and you don't think it's going to back up what you're saying exactly, which is kind of like when I looked up the Alex English Carmelo Anthony thing. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my why were you, God. Why were like, you thinking about Alex English? Because I was just thinking about Carmelo and I'm just thinking about how I just think he's been put in a space that he doesn't belong in over the course of his career because of who he came into the league with. And that he was part of that draft class with, uh, you know, obviously with with Dwayne and with LeBron and with Bosh. And so and, you know, he was the guy that I said earlier, he went second overall. Of course, he didn't. He went third. Mil- uh, Darko Milicic went second. What was Darko Milicic's VORP? I, I don't think it was. I think it was negative. <laughs> I, I'm, pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure it was negative. But I mean, getting back to this, though, I, look, this is a, a double edged sword here. On one hand, like credit to Dwayne, like that he can still do this at this age. Like that's remarkable to have a 30 usage rate at age 36. I mean, again, Allen Iverson, whose usage rate was ridiculous. OK, was out of the NBA at 34. Wade is 36. And I don't know if that says something about a Spolstra is too reliant on him still. B, they don't have a type A personality on the entire roster, right? Because it's not Goron as far as that personality. It's not Josh. Justice showed a little of it, but he's not really ready for that yet. It's not Hassan. Who is it going to be? James Johnson? Olenek? The guy does not exist on the team. So this isn't a slight to Dwayne at all. The fact that he's still trying to do those kind of things, I think a lot of it just fell to him by default. But it does speak to what you're saying. Like, they need to fix the roster because if Dwayne comes back, and I know you think he is and I think he isn't, but if Dwayne comes, he can't be doing that at 37 and 38 but, and 39. But again, I, I, I just, it, to me, and it is the one bummer. I, they didn't make the playoffs last year. I would have loved to have seen what it would have been like last year. But I just think that in the playoffs, the decentralized approach that the Heat had where, yes, you didn't know who the closer was going to be, and at times it looked bad. But there are also times the first half of the year where it looked fine. Like, I think the Heat, if you're going to have basically a group of 10 role players all forming a collective and trying to be better than some of their parts, you negate that when you plug in a player who is not a superstar quality player. I mean, Dwayne Wade's a good player, particularly in the postseason. He's not a superstar anymore. 
if you kind of remove that concept out of the heat, what do they become but a bunch of role players all funneling their efforts towards one player who can't do it anymore? And so I just kind of wonder what it would have looked like if they had a more Boston-like approach. I don't know if Boston had any player, and I can check, if they had any, any individuals who in that series against Milwaukee were you know high usage or were demonstrably higher usage than everybody else. But I would have liked to have seen what that decentralized approach would look like and say, all right, well, we don't have in an individual we have as a team. And I feel like you kind of remove that from the Heat. And you saw that in the regular season. I may, I've mentioned the numbers plenty about how the Heat were worse when Dwayne Wade was in the game in the regular season. But you saw that in the regular season, the game changes, and everyone's like, all right, Dwayne, go again. And as much as that's not Dwayne's fault, right? It's not his fault that the whole team defers to him. I will say I can't imagine he would reject that idea. I'm sure he doesn't mind having the basketball. But – I do think that that whole approach just doesn't work. It doesn't work with Russell Westbrook. And so what makes you think it'll work with Dwayne Wade? One other stat before we move on on the heat. The other thing that's not sustainable, I know we've done a lot of podcasts on this. Uh, Guess who was first in the NBA in the playoffs through the first round in turnover ratio? Goran Dragic. Hassan Whiteside. (laughs) I knew knew that was the answer. I was trying to figure out a way to, like, you, you hammer it in. That response, yeah, I mean, and it's one of those things, like you said, where you like you like it when your eyes match up with the stats, and it's the same kind of thing here. And it's one of the things that Brett Brown deserves an enormous amount of credit for. And in some respects, why, if we're talking about the coaching battle in the series, he won it is because he made it a point to frustrate Whiteside to get him in a place where he was going to be a problem for the Heat. And they 100% succeeded. From game one, throwing Ilyasova out there at center, from trying to harry him and get turnovers, and then you have the Embiid card to throw at him. They 100% neutralized Whiteside, made it a problem for Miami, and in a major respect, just the biggest reason why Philly won in five. Yeah, no question. I mean, the the assist-to-turnover ratio here um, for Hassan, 0.08. Not great. To one. Not great, Point, Bob. 0.08, a 2.6 assist ratio and a 31.0 turnover ratio, which if, if you don't know what those numbers mean off the top, it's it's hard to do that. It's 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 generally not good. I think those two things together, having to lean on Dwayne so much at this stage and the fact that Hassan gave them nothing in the playoffs kind of emphasizes your point that if there's a team that needs to blow it up, that might be the team. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Ricardo Navas, and unfortunately, the Heat have been eliminated from the playoffs because the Sixers and the referees are clearly cheating. Um, jokes aside, we're still going to be going strong. Every Monday, look for new episodes of the Heat Beat Podcast. We're going to be going into the Heat's future, past, and present, as well as going around the league, and we're going to be guest-heavy throughout this postseason run. So check us out at MIA Heat Beat on Twitter and Miami Heat Beat on Facebook so we can keep you post it on what's to come all right let's move on to point number four and obviously in the western conference the big talking point is a houston golden state conference final that's what everyone is looking forward to but first they have to get through two we're sort of saying ahead of the season who are the two teams that are going to play golden state and houston in the second round to potentially derail this matchup that everyone wants to see i can't imagine if you had the new orleans utah ticket congratulations you are a millionaire because you would have thought i mean how many teams ahead of them portland heading in you would have had obviously oklahoma city you would have had san antonio yeah i mean maybe even the clippers ahead of the season you would have thought yeah. more likely to get to this stage maybe, than maybe utah, new orleans Denver, maybe Denver, yeah. i mean there's so many teams in the western conference you would have thought the more likely to get there than utah and new orleans but here we are and in some respects, this is, a, this is a good question to ask around now because Houston went on a tear today against Utah. I kind of feel bad for these teams that have to play long series and then straight away get thrown into the Lions' den. And then New Orleans also got absolutely blitzed last night. We're taping this on a Sunday night, so it would have been Saturday night that uh, New Orleans got absolutely destroyed. But which for you has the better chance to win some home games and maybe make this a bit of a longer series? I would say New Orleans just because I do think that Anthony Davis can create problems for Golden State. I know that the numbers don't necessarily say that, and since Alvin Gentry went to New Orleans, leaving the Golden State staff, it hasn't gone very well for New Orleans. But I just think, look, to expect Donovan Mitchell to continue to put up these kind of performances as the focus of the offense, I know that, again, he's exceeded all expectations by far. You actually texted me that you thought that, that, you know, we were talking about maybe he could have a Wade-like rookie playoffs Donovan Mitchell's numbers actually in that first round series were a lot better than Twain's were. Yeah, I would say a, I would say rookie. at this point now obviously 
Utah is going to have to go toe-to-toe a bit here with Houston in order to really cement it. Because that's the other thing, too, that I think a lot of people forget. People remember the game one game winner and winning the series against Charlotte, but they also went up against a one-seed Indiana Pacers and were competitive with them. Like, that was not an easy series for the Pacers, those Jermaine O'Neal teams. And so that is something that that Donovan Mitchell is going to have to do. But I would say to this point, Donovan Mitchell has done better, not just because of his individual performances, but in who he took out. He individually went toe-to-toe with Westbrook. He went toe-to-toe with a team that obviously Carmelo is not who he was, but Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook, three of the biggest figures in the modern era of the NBA, and as a rookie went toe-to-toe and beat them as the lower seed. So I would say at this point, he has a more impressive resume as a rookie in the playoffs than Wade did, but... Again, it's going to have to continue for it to, to, to remain that way. Yeah, and the thing about Dwayne that everybody remembers is really the two game winners in that series. He made the, I think it was a three earlier in the series, and then the uh, obviously the first game where you start with the, the runner in the lane that everybody recalls. But Mitchell's been tremendous, but I think if you were to say, okay, which of those two guys, Anthony Davis or Mitchell, uh, you know, do you think could sustain this? You know, I would think it would be Davis. The other thing about Davis is, he has a second guy there who's been great over the past four months in Drew Holiday. And so Drew Holiday could have a game or two in this series, especially, again, with not, not having Curry there, where you know they can make this thing relatively competitive. They're not going to win the series. I don't really give Utah any chance against Houston. I mean, it's, I know it's a style contrast. Utah has to really, really slow them down, and Gobert has to be so dynamic in this series. But the thing about Houston is so much of what they do comes from the outside anyway that I don't know that Gobert can be as much of a factor as he could be against some other teams. I mean, if Houston's going to jack up a three in the first four seconds of the clock, what does Rudy Gobert's presence mean in terms of that? So, like you said, I, I don't think... Either of these matchups are particularly close. In fact, I'm not expecting much of a second round, actually. I, I don't. The West matchups are not compelling to me. Boston not having as good a coach as Stevens is, I, I do think it catches up to them not having Kyrie. I'm, we're not going to talk about Hayward because he was never really there this year, but not having Kyrie in this series. And then the other one, as I said, if Toronto just plays the way they're capable of playing, that should be a five-game series. But again, that's trusting Toronto to do something that they don't typically do. In terms of the in the West, I would say probably New Orleans, just because we don't know what Curry's going to be like when he comes back. And I'm telling you, Ethan, I don't know how much of the Golden State game you saw last night. I honestly have felt bad this season. I have watched next to none of the Golden State Warriors this year because kind of like how Golden State's been bored with the regular season, I've been bored with the Golden State Warriors. Like, I want to see them in the playoffs, and I want to see the, the YouTube clips of when they're absolutely on fire and everyone's tweeting stuff out, oh, my God, this is classic Golden State. But I don't feel like we've had that same kind of rabid energy. Do you remember when they came onto the scene? 2015-16 was the year that they won 67 and then won the league. But the excitement that was around those teams, it just doesn't exist anymore. And I wonder if kind of Kevin Durant has made them a little evil empire but they're still just as fun to watch when they're in full flow. And they were in full flow on Saturday night against the New Orleans Pelicans, ran them out of the gym. They scored 75 in the first half. It could have been 85. It could have been 95. The passing, the movement, the number of times that New Orleans was caught out throwing numbers at, at a screen. or you know, And, and it was shocking when you consider that New Orleans had all that time to prepare after getting swept like they wouldn't have been preparing for the Spurs that are preparing for the Warriors and the fact that Alvin Gentry came from the system in some respects kind of created the system and they still were so woefully unable to defend it I still think though that because I think it's more likely that you can be prepared for the Warriors in a playoff series than in the regular season because you have to be so disciplined. You have to be constantly thinking about it. In the regular season, it's harder. In the playoffs, you can kind of focus in on what they're trying to do. I think New Orleans, when they, particularly when they get back home, is going to have the ability to make these closer games. I think Houston, in four or five games against Utah, I think you just saw today the, this lack of firepower that they have. Oklahoma City's not able to make them pay because they're not a good offensive team despite having good offensive players. Houston's a really good offensive team and I think they kind of got over some of the woes that they were having in that Minnesota series with that 50 point third quarter that they had I think it was in game three or game four and they haven't really looked back from there so I think Houston's gonna make quick work of that I think New Orleans can make it a little bit more difficult hey Chris why don't you tell the people about the balls cast <laughs> don't mind if I do. <laughs> don't mind if I do hey listen up the balls cast is a 
podcast about Miami sports. All Hold kinds on, of Miami Hold things. On. Hold on. Culture and politics while two dudes smoke weed. It's a good time, Balls Cast. So you guys should check it out. Now let's move to the other conference, the Eastern Conference, Philadelphia, Boston, and Cleveland, Toronto. I want to focus, we talked plenty about the Cavs over the course of the pod. I want to focus on Philly and Boston. Do you think, Ethan, that Boston has much of a chance to keep it competitive? And, and do you think that if it's not competitive, that we're going to learn a ton about the Sixers? It shouldn't be particularly competitive when Boston doesn't have Kyrie and, again, is not the team they thought they were going to be when they had Hayward. I think Stevens can make it competitive you know obviously you're gonna have Embiid from the very start of the series unlike the last series I mean the Sixers going back to the regular season we can talk about the quality of that streak but going that back to the regular season they've won what 21 out of 22 it's pretty good yeah. <laughs> and, and we saw the flow you know during that series I look at the way that Philly is able to force their pace on you if you look right now at the top 10 players in the league in pace in the playoffs nine of them came from that Heat Sixers series, and the Heat didn't want to play that way. So that was Philadelphia forcing the action. So if they can do that again against Boston, I think that's where Boston's lack of depth at this stage will hurt them. I mean, look, they're giving minutes to guys that you would not expect to get minutes at this stage. And for a team like that, look, I love the Larkin kid because I watched him play at UM. He's not a high-level backup point guard. He's getting consistent minutes here in the rotation, again, because of the way they've had to sort of play without Kyrie, and they just get smart back. And obviously, I like what Horford does, and I love uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as long-term plays. But I do think Philadelphia has has better top-level talent. They have experienced shooters around them. And I think as good as Stevens is, Brett Brown's pretty damn good, too. And so I don't think unlike that Boston-Milwaukee series where there was a clear coaching advantage for the Celtics, it's not quite as clear in this series. Brett Brown has now coached a playoff series, so he's he's got got his feet wet a little bit. I would say Philadelphia wins this series in six. My thing about when you look at these two teams, and look, I understand I'm kind of making very loose comparisons when you look at the two teams, but Phillies right now, their leaders are a second-year player and a rookie. And Boston... That's the same thing. And you watch them play, Jalen Brown looks up for it. Jason Tatum looks up for it. They do not look like they are being overwhelmed by the look of the playoffs. They don't look like they've been out of their depth in this postseason. Now, they have been out of their depth away from home, and that for me is the biggest concern is I think it really is going to be up to Boston if they're going to be competitive in this series to win one, if not two, of the home games to start the series. I think away from home, it's going to be pain for them. And so if Philly wins game one or game two or perhaps even both, it's Kurt for the series because I don't think they're going to win a road game in this series but can they win games one two and five I absolutely think that they can and you look at what they've been in these in this postseason it's exactly what I prescribed for the heat I thought it was the case and the numbers back it up you mentioned the usage percentage number with Dwayne Wade and how high it was do you know the Boston Celtics highest usage guy is in terms of regular minutes guys I think I, I said it at 15 minutes their highest usage guy is Marcus Morris and so Jason Tatum, 23%. Jalen Brown, 22.5%. Rozier, 21. Horford, 21. Marcus Smart, 19.5. Like, those are their main five pieces, and they share the basketball. They're all trying to get on the act, and that's obviously the Stevens magic, but it's also they have a decentralized approach. That would, it would not look like that with Kyrie Irving and the team, and they figure out a way in their home games. Again, it was Milwaukee, not nearly the quality of opposition that they'll be facing the Philadelphia 76ers, but they have that kind of approach to where it's not just we're going to stand around and watch someone try and win us a playoff series. No, it's on everyone, and I think in home games where role players stand out a bit more, where you have that ability to – maybe perhaps play to a different level, I think the Boston Celtics can compete in games one and two. And if they win them both or even win one of them, I think it'll be more out of the series than some might have expected because they have a chance to win game five. It goes six. I think Boston, particularly in the games at TD Garden, have a chance to make this a difficult series. And I think that, for me, is, is the reason why I think I think both series in the East will be good because I think Toronto and Cleveland are going seven just by virtue of Toronto, Hoodoo, and LeBron. 
But I think this series has, I think, is to me, of the three series that are non-Toronto-Cleveland, the one that has the best chance to be a bit more competitive because Boston has home advantage and they've been better at home. The thing about this series is everybody's going to make it a referendum on their futures, the first futures of the two franchises. We kind of did that a little bit on our last NBA pod. And in that sense, Boston has very little to lose here yeah. because if they don't win the series, it's okay, but we get our two best players back next exactly, year. Yeah. And so, so there's not, and, I mean, and it's, so it's not like, three. it's not like, I mean, I guess smart might be a casualty, but they bring everybody else back to it. It's not like they're losing guys either. No, I mean, and Horford's signed and Rozier is back at least for one more year. They'll have a decision to make on him after next season. But yeah, they may lose smart, but we found that Ainge is resourceful in that sense. And, and they, like the Sixers, have draft pick equity also. So there's a lot of things that they can do. It's also going to be a little bit of a referendum here on the first round picks this year. Like if Tatum plays a huge role in this series, and remember, Boston was able to pick up a first round pick from Philly to make that swap of Tatum and Fultz, essentially. And it might be a damn good one. Like, if it's the Kings pick next year, right. then it's, so, that's incredible. Right. So, so look, if Fultz does not – and I wonder if Philadelphia is going to feel – Brett Brown didn't play Fultz, what, the last – was the last three games of the series against Miami? I wonder if he's going to feel a little bit of pressure to get him in this series some. Yeah, I think he played him in the first two games that were in Philly, and then we didn't see him again. I think he kind of gave him these six-minute stretches and – it just wasn't working for him. I think for him, even beyond the jump shooting thing, which has kind of been the year-long storyline, it's also the defense that makes it difficult to play. And I think that, again, you're going against Stevens' offense, maybe because they don't have the standout talents, but Miami didn't either. So I think Brett Brown's going to have a long way to go before he trusts Markel Fultz in a playoff game. They're going to have to go through a full regular season with him healthy. Right, and so there's going to be a lot of people wondering, okay, what kind of decision did they make there? Because as you say, you know, giving up the first-round pick, if Tatum kills them, in this series. Now, of course, the word is that Boston would have taken Tatum number one overall anyway if they just stayed put. So he never would have fallen to Philadelphia. But Philadelphia might have been able to end up with Fultz or Ball, actually. I mean, it could have been Lonzo Ball if Fultz went second to the Lakers just by staying put and not giving up the draft pick to move up to number one. You just had a Philadelphia-Boston Super Bowl also, so that plays into this too. And the fans are both are insane on both sides. So all of that is positive to make this a compelling series. I just think it's hard to put too much stock into it when, like I said, Boston is not going to have the two best players on the roster. All right, so that'll do it for this edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. Again, check out our sponsors, X Miami and Analytic. Check out the other podcasts in the network, Miami Heat Beat, three yards per carry with their draft episode this week. We'll be talking to Simon Clancy later on in the week. And also check out the Balls Cast, which has been thoroughly entertaining for my money. Also, check out Five Reasons on Twitter. We are at Five Reasons Sports. We're doing a Miami Heat Beat takeover this week. All or five. Uh, they've got about a dozen crew members. Five of them will be taking over the account over the course of the week. So check that out at Five Reasons Sports. Subscribe to the podcast on Google Play, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.